scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Please turn in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screens. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken in the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd says, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This ends the reading of God's word, and at this time, children can be dismissed to the little landing. Good morning, Faith Family at the Landing. What a privilege to worship the Lord on Palm Sunday 2023 with you. You know that the winds of God's favor and blessing are blowing here at the Landing. When you look into the worship folder and when you see so many wonderful things happening, you know that we're in a time at a church in a moment where his kindness is blowing and generously moving among the body of Christ here. So give thanks and dive in as the Lord would invite you to take part in everything that's available to you. Would you pray with me? I'll ask for God's help to open his word. Make plain, Lord, your great love and your zeal, your power and your goodness through the word of God. It is alive and yet it's fixed. Inerrant and yet on the move. We submit to your word, we submit to you through it, and by your spirit who teaches it to us. Come by the presence of your spirit within all believers, and among those who are not yet believers, take up residence in their souls as they receive you, coming for the moment gentle and lowly, riding on a donkey. God, I thank you so much for Matthew 21, and I thank you that we get to look at Matthew 21 having reverberating in our memories and minds much of the book of Revelation. Teach us plainly, Lord, now from the verses Tom just read, the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord on the day of the Lord to do the work of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Palm Sunday begins the holiest week of the year, and we're going to step aside from our series in Revelation so that we can look at three passages for three messages today, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, from the book of Matthew to see how in the days when Christ walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, here in this passage specifically, he is 
publicly named as the king for the first time. And it's intentional that he does so, so that some would hate him and kill him. That's why he came. We pause in Revelation with it ringing in our ears to look at this glorious passage where Christ comes humble and gentle, riding on a donkey so that we would be amazed and thrilled that he would come to us in such a lowly, gentle, peaceful way. He comes to minister to us in kindness and in patience and in tenderness. He comes, as it were, even to children, and he receives their praise. He's not yet on a war horse. He's not yet on a mighty charger, white and its nostrils flaring and blood spattered all over its legs, rising as high as its bridle. We know about that. That's to come, and that lends intensity and power and wonder and amazement and glory to this passage, because here's Christ riding not just on a donkey, but on the baby of a donkey. He has to lift up his feet so his sandals don't drag. I want you to see from this passage, your king is humble, ready to receive you. I want you to see, secondly, your king is the son of David, worthy of your praise. And third, I want you to see, your king is Jesus, mighty to save. First, your king is humble, ready to receive you. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, the disciples and Jesus came to Bethpage and to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." Jesus has taught his disciples for three years, and he has said, don't tell anyone that I am the king yet. It's not my hour. It's not my time. Now is his hour. Now is his time. He sends for a donkey, the mama, and he says, also the colt or foal, baby donkey. I'm going to ride on the baby donkey, but I'm kind enough that the baby donkey will have his mama right next to him. As I ride on him, mama will be right near All that to fulfill Zechariah 9, 9, verse 9. Faithful Israelites would have remembered and known this passage. We're going to look for our king coming as he presents himself to Israel, riding on a donkey on the foal of a beast of burden. Notice while Jesus is humble and gentle, unthreatening, not dangerous, Not fierce, not vengeful, but kind, as humble as one could be. He's still in absolute supreme authority, isn't he? He tells the disciples, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. He knows where donkeys and colts are. He knows exactly where they are. And more than knowing where all things are, he says, untie them and bring them to me. This was was like disciples going up to an owner of a work truck and saying, give me the keys, we're taking it. But Jesus says, if anyone asks you anything, 
say the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. He even rules over the wills and hearts of donkey owners. He rules over the event. He rules over everything happening here so that he will come into Jerusalem from the east, past Bethpage, past the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives, and into the east gate, the east side of Jerusalem, just as the prophecy foretold. He is making it as plain and clear as can be, I am the king. I am God's anointed king. I'm the one many of you are going to hate and kill. I ordained that from before the foundation of the world. I am the one many of you will love and adore and worship. Come to me and I'll receive it for I will receive you. Even while he's gentle and humble and lowly, he is sovereign The king's heart is a stream in the water, as water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. He is the Lord ruling over this moment to show that everything happens under his wise and godly orchestration. He means to come and reveal his glory, even for those of you and I with eyes to see. As we look at this passage, we see these beautiful pictures of a sovereign God ruling over heaven and earth, and yet coming in such lowly, peaceful, gentle humility. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, And therefore he exalts himself to show you mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Jesus is coming in a humble way so that if you are inclined to be afraid of him, your fears can be assuaged and removed. If you're tempted to think of Christ as just a harsh and demanding judge and you use that as your excuse for avoiding him and not giving your heart to him. Oh, I know he'll just make me stop doing all the very things I like to do. I know I'll have to change. I know I'll just have to give up who I am. And I can't do that. So I'm going to keep Jesus at the end of my arm's length. He comes to you today in this room, in this moment, by his spirit in this passage of scripture, speaking to you saying, there is going to be a day, a fearful day, when I will come in judgment, for I am a holy God. But for now, I come to you gentle and lowly, riding on a donkey. I come to you to make peace. He exalts himself to be gracious to us, He glorifies himself to show us mercy. This is supposed to trigger infinite joy in the people of Jerusalem. And infinite joy in the people who know Christ through his peaceful coming. If you're a believer in this room, you should say, I love looking at this passage. I love the joy it supplies to me because it's it's what Israel waited for. But not just Israel, all the nations waited for this. Listen to the wider context of the passage Jesus is fulfilling. It's quoted here in verse 4, but listen to it from Zechariah 9. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the foal of a colt, 
the foal of a beast of burden. Then listen to Zechariah 9.9, the same passage, but expanded with its context. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you see the wider passage? It's meant to be a sign of joy. The people of Jerusalem are supposed to rejoice with power and rejoicing that Christ has come. All their hopes are fulfilled. All their sorrows are being assuaged and comforted. All their joy is being maximized because the king has come. It was only the untaught and the confused who thought the king was going to come as a political warrior. That's only the untaught. The ones unfamiliar with Zechariah 9.9 and many, many other passages as to the Messiah. Here it's clear. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Sing and rejoice. All the Pharisees, all the chief priests, all the scribes and the elders, they should have said, give me that palm branch. Give me that tambourine. Let's lead the praise and the joy. Because the king has come, and he's come for now in a gentle and tender and compassionate, peaceful way. One day, in all righteousness, he will come with his vengeance and fury. Now he comes, merciful, kind, patient, and humble. It's not just for Israel either. They could have read on in Zechariah 9 to verse 10. Listen carefully. God speaks through Zechariah and says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace. That is my Messiah. Shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Careful followers of the Old Testament scriptures would have not only looked for Jesus to come as a joy-supplying, gentle rider on a colt, the foal of a donkey, to bring peace, but that peace would have extended far beyond the walls of Jerusalem and the Judean, the Judean region and even the Israelite people to all the Gentiles and all the nations. From of old, no one has heard, says Isaiah, or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you, a God who acts for those who wait for him. Israel was waiting for him. We're waiting for him. Yet he comes in power and he says, I rule over this entire event. I rule over the world. I rule over world movements. Wars and rumors of wars. Weather patterns, spiritual battles in the heavenly places and on earth, I rule over them all and I come gentle, quiet, peaceful, for I am ready to receive you. Who here today or who in the hearing of my voice is keeping Christ at arm's length and not receiving him? Who is thinking, I am far, far too gone to be received by Christ? Is there anybody out in the culture in Duluth? Is there anybody in Proctor or Hermantown or Cloquet or Carleton, Superior or anywhere out in the world who thinks they're too far? They've done too many bad things and too many ugly things have been done to them that this Christ wouldn't receive them? There's no one. 
His arm is not too short to save. He comes gentle, quiet, humble, riding on a donkey, even a baby donkey, so that you, even you, would come to him without fear. I invite you to come to him. I invite you to make April 2nd, 2023, the day of your salvation. I invite you to come to him afresh. If you've known him before, come to him again and say, it's a wonder, Lord, that knowing how I've known you and yet still how I struggle with sin and fear and doubt and unbelief and disobedience before you, that you would receive me gently, humbly, peacefully once again. Whether you've never known him and this is your first time in coming or you've known him for many years and you're ashamed at having this sense of having been estranged from him and needing to return to him, come to him. He's peaceful and gentle and quiet. He's riding on a baby donkey. What could be more gentle than that? Your king comes to you humble and on a donkey ready to receive you. Your king is the son of David, worthy of God's praise. The joy of the people of Jerusalem was full and overflowing. Look at verses 6 through 9. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. And he sat on them like a saddle. They took their cloaks off and put them on the little colt. You could just imagine their coats dragging on the ground. And Jesus having to lift up his sandals so they don't drag on the ground because he's on a little tiny foal of a donkey. Verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd's response is so surprising. None of the scholars and commentators have a clear answer, at least very few of them, for why the crowd seems to be so agreeable. Why does the crowd take off their, their identity, their, their cloak, their, their personhood, their protection, their, their identity as a worker or as a, as a man or a woman or as a child? Why do they take that off and lay that down? They make it like a carpet so that that little Fold's hooves would have something soft to walk on. And then they cut branches. The Hebrew word behind branches is Nazar, from which the town Nazareth comes from. It just means a little nub, a little shoot out the side of a tree once the tree's been cut down. That's a Nazar. The Hebrew behind the Greek branches is Nazar. They take small branches and they lay green small branches on the ground so that like a green carpet with cushioning, a pad below it, the foal of the donkey could walk with King Jesus riding on its back. They're celebrating the king. How do they know? How do they know this is King Jesus? How do they know he's worthy of praise? And they sing what the Bible says. They quote Psalms which are meant for God. Hosanna to the son of David. They know that this is 
the anointed one of God, the Christ, the one who will come from David's line and sit on his throne forever. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting the psalm that's addressing God and God alone from Psalm 118. They give him praise and they sing loud songs of public praise. They even sing, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means God saves, most simply. When they sing Hosanna, they're saying, this is God's salvation, the king has come. They seem to know so much. And then they sing Hosanna in the highest, which means we're going to sing Hosanna down here on earth. But you angels up in the heavens, you sing Hosanna too. They not only know what we're supposed to do on earth, they know what the angels are supposed to do in heaven. That's what Hosanna in the highest means. How do they know so much? How do they know? They sing not just to one God has raised up and anointed. They sing psalms and songs specifically addressing and treating Jesus as God. Can you imagine the children, their families, the believing ones, having seen how beautifully Jesus is unfolding Zechariah 9 and the Messianic passages, and they, and they take off their coats and they lay them down. I'd be happy for Jesus' fold to, to walk over my clothes. And, and they lay down the green branches, maybe palm branches in that part of the world, and they're so happy to sing songs, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I give him my public praise. It, it would be glorious and sweet and even tender. Yet we must remember the setting. There are arm-folded, scowling-faced Pharisees, scribes, chief priests, and elders standing alongside, looking on as these children and their, their parents who know and love the Lord give praise publicly to this carpenter from Nazareth. This little shoot of Jesse, the little branch walking on the branches. He's nothing. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Branches are just to be thrown away. He's nothing but a branch. And yet you treat him as if he himself is God. In fact, you sing psalms devoted alone to God. They were indignant. They were furious. They were angry. Long past in the, is the time in the United States of America when singing praise songs to Jesus will be approved of by our culture. The only people who will stand up and speak boldly of the name of Jesus Christ in this culture with songs of praise will do so under indignation and hatred. Everybody in this room, everybody in the children's ministries, everybody associated with every faithful church, steal your spine and prepare your heart now to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ when somebody else is going to hate you for it. It's like picking up a Bible and walking down the streets of Tehran and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord over Iran. You'd be dead before the sun went down. It's like a Baptist preacher last Sunday did. Surely some are doing it this Sunday. In Moscow, stepping up to their pulpits, even with live streams, recording or broadcasting their sermons, and saying, our leader Putin's war in Ukraine is evil. It should stop. 
pastor preaches his last sermon and the church explodes with growth. It's like going down to the first street corner where the women's health building is and standing there boldly and proclaiming every preborn child is precious having been made in the image of God. In the most abortion-wielding state of the union. Their praise is all the more precious to Jesus, filled with joy, welcoming him in his humble, quiet beauty and, and, and simplicity and his peacemaking mercy, because it's being hated by those who are threatened by Jesus. They would just as soon mock. They would just as soon put Jesus down. He's nothing but a branch. He's nothing but a Nazar from Nazareth. I invite you this Holy Week of 2023 to ask the Lord in all sincerity in your prayer life personally. Do it now even as we're studying the word together. Lord, would you open up an opportunity for me to boldly sing the praise of Jesus, to, to boast in Jesus out in a public setting sometime this week. Your king is gentle and he comes in peace to receive you. Your king is worthy of praise as the son of David. And finally, your king is Jesus, mighty to save you. They sang Hosanna, God saves. God saves from what? <laughs> God saves from being one of those chief priests and Pharisees. God saves from the unbelief and the anger and the hatred and the disdain for Jesus. God saves from the evil and the sin that wells up in the hearts of all humanity. Every one of us needs salvation. None of us can come to Christ based on our own virtue, but all we bring to Christ is our need and our guilt. All we receive from him until he returns is mercy. Notice how verses 10 and 11 bring to a close this encounter. The carpenter is, carpenter's son is riding on a donkey, a baby donkey. And he's being worshipped and heralded as the son of God, the son of David, the son of man. And now we find out exactly what Matthew's been telling us for his whole gospel account. That this is Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. Look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Which meant the whole city was in turmoil. There were people who loved and worshipped Jesus and there were many more who were puzzled and confused and withdrawing and there were even many who were opposing and hating what Jesus was saying. They accused him of blasphemy. In fact, Jesus being identified as king, God's king, is what gets him killed. That's what it means when it says the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, the children said, the worshipers without their coats and their, and their greenery laying down in front of Jesus, they all said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. 
how did they know? How did they know? They got it right. Oh, oh, for sure, they, there, was, there was confusion to come, and it wouldn't be mere days before other crowds would cry out, crucify him. But this crowd speaks virtually prophetically. They quote Hosanna. They sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognize the cult. And Jesus coming in as king. They lay their palm branches before him and extol him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they fully understand that his name is Jesus. In the birth narrative, Matthew told us this. At his baptism, all through his teaching ministry, we read and know this is Jesus. But now for the first time, Jesus is publicly identified as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Son of David, our Savior, God's Son. They're not afraid. They prophesy and speak out the name of Jesus, the name by which all who are saved must be saved. What's stunning is Jesus doesn't keep them quiet. He doesn't shush them. He doesn't say, keep it quiet. I'm going to get killed if you keep talking about me that way. He says, no, I receive your praise. I receive your revealing who my true identity is. This is why I came. So he's hanging on the cross and the centurion sees Christ having died on the cross and says, truly this was the Son of God. Paul will later say, this is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance. Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This Jesus is the one whose name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The crowd sang Hosanna, and now that prayer, God save, is fulfilled in the name of Jesus, Yahweh saves. Paul said to the Romans, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You Pharisees and chief priests, you who are spitting mockery and anger and hatred against Jesus, repent and come grab a palm branch or a tambourine. You should sing the praise of this Savior, your Savior too. You need him as much as we do. Peter preached at Pentecost, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't keep trying it until you think it takes. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a God who comes in the power of his son and he says, I'm here on a foal of a donkey. I am gentle and lowly. I am meek and quiet. I am kind and patient. And I'm telling you, as I have received you, you come and receive me. Jesus makes a name for himself. He wants them to know that this name Jesus is for the saving of sinners and the bringing about of God's plan and righteousness on the earth. So the very next thing he does after he gets off the foal of a donkey is he clears the temple courts of the money changers and those who bought and sold unjustly to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. My house shall be called a house of prayer and Jesus calls the temple my house when it was God who said that. In Matthew 21, verses 14 through 15, look down your page just briefly. 
It tells what happens next. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus is healing with all these crowds praising him and celebrating him as now the publicly revealed son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's healing the blind and the lame for the kingdom of God has come in Christ's arrival. Then verse 15, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were furious, ticked off, accusing him of blasphemy and wanting to destroy him right then. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? (laughs) It's been ordained from before the foundations of the world, we will see. And they're asking, do you hear what they are saying? And I love Jesus' response. Look at, listen to Jesus' response, verse 16. And Jesus said to them, yes. <laughs> yes. And isn't it great? Don't you just love it? The entire plan the Father and I have put in place from before the foundation of the world is happening perfectly. Yes. And then as if to have even more fun, he says to the Pharisees who prided themselves in knowing the whole Old Testament, have you never read? And another quote from Psalm 8, applying to God, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. Now we know why the crowd knew what to say. God ordained it. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have literally ordained or prepared praise. Now we know why the crowd knows what to say. Out of the mouth of nursing babes and infants, God has ordained praise for himself, and now his son, Jesus Christ, comes and receives all the praise due alone to God because he himself is God. Many stumble over this. Many are furious and their eyes are closed and their ears are stopped and they walk away hating him. Many reject Jesus in that day. Many have rejected Jesus all the way through the last 2,000 years. Many reject him today. Many say his standards of sexual purity are outmoded and dated and ridiculous. His standards for speech and for relationships are impossible. His standards for marriage, his standards for all ethical questions are impossible to uphold. His command that I repent and turn from sin and follow him, I can't do it. I don't even know if I want to. And inside of religious institutions, maybe the most dangerous perversions and mockeries occur where different Jesus are put forth. False images of Christ. A form of mockery. You know the exact opposite of praising Jesus is mocking him and all that he teaches and all that he cherishes. You ever thought of that? The exact opposite of praising Jesus, Hosanna, in the highest, the exact opposite of that is mockery for all that he is and all that he teaches and all that he cherishes. And until he comes back in revelation fury, listen to the words of the 
heart of our donkey riding Savior. Over Duluth and Superior and all of these communities right now that you and I live in. Listen to his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, your children, together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, second coming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Don't let your heart be hardened against Christ. It doesn't matter what happened to you in other churches. It doesn't matter what happens to you in this church. It doesn't matter what happens to you in your family. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in your mind. It doesn't matter what's happened in your body. It doesn't matter what's happened to you out in the culture or in your online interactions. It doesn't matter what design evil people have against you or curses that have been labeled upon you or demonic attacks that have made some headway against you. Jesus is greater. Have eyes to see. He's in sovereign, supreme control as he rides on a donkey and lifts his toes from the dirt. He's in sovereign control, peacefully saying, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you personally. I'm coming to you. I'm inviting you to come and trust me. I know you've trusted me before. Trust me again. And if you've never trusted me before, trust me now. This country's greatest evangelist, George Whitfield, said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even persecutors. The worst of sinners. His righteousness is sufficient even for them. His spirit is able to purify and change every heart. Here's the miracle of salvation that guarantees the eternal success of all God's plans and the failure of all man-made religions. It's simply this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and he will be stunningly successful. Would you pray with me? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we bow before your Son, Jesus, our sovereign and yet quiet Savior. We bow before him thankful, joyful, eager to sing our praise, eager to worship and extol and delight in him, the Lord of our salvation. And we take this opportunity now, this bread and this cup as symbols and to signify that we're thankful for his body broken and we're thankful for his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being a church that wants to herald, not just on every Lord's Day as we do, but as far and as wide and as frequently as we are able, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we'd even happily add, of which we see ourselves as foremost. 
Lord, if there's a person in the hearing of my voice and in this room today who longs to know what it's like to be a child with a tambourine and a palm branch and joyfully free of regret and fear and guilt and shame and sing with passion and abandon the joy and praise of Hosanna to you, would you give that fresh childlike experience to every person who wants it? They want it because you are already at work in their hearts drawing them to yourself. Thank you so much for the coming, patient, quiet, humble, and kind 2,000 years ago. And thank you for every breath you give us right now before your second coming, which will arrive at the perfectly appointed hour the Father has determined. Thank you so much for now the privilege of worshiping you, not only over the word, but by this meal. Be glorified as believers gather round this table and are served this bread and cup and receive it, saying, let all mockery in me be routed out and replaced with praise. Let all hardness of heart be evicted from me and replaced with faithful joy. Let all worldliness and all despising of Jesus, all self-exaltation be cleansed from me and replace it with white-hot love for Christ. We know, Lord, that there's an urgency to these moments. For you are coming back and all flesh will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but only a portion will say it as worship. The rest will say it in stark horror. We say it now, Lord, with our hearts. We love you, we praise you, and we bless you now. For the receiving of this bread and these elements, the cup and the bread, to worship you with our hearts, even as we eat. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.